Welcome everyone to the Adversity to Advantage podcast. Today, we're very privileged to have Leila Okai on the line with us. She is the founding director of Diverse Minds UK, which I'm just excited about in general. Um, she enables organizations to create a more productive workplace by talking and supporting mental health, which obviously my listeners know is a passion uh, close to my heart around mental health at work. So welcome to the show, Leila. Thank you so much for having me, Petra. It's really good to have you. Um, so as you know, this topic is all around adversity, resilience. What are the things in our life that have impacted us in some way and have allowed us to kind of uh, either strengthen our character or punch us in the face? There's, there's a range of things, right? Um, I'd love to just get a bit of context in the, in the first instance. Uh, what, what, well, actually, let me, let me go back first. Tell us a little bit about Diverse Minds UK. I'd love to know what it is you're passionate about at the moment. Thank you so much. So Diverse Minds UK, do you know what's really interesting is I never, ever thought I'd be running my own business. So for me, um, it's been a really interesting journey because there's a lot of business in my family. A lot of my family members are, you know, it's a large family, run their own businesses. And I was always told, why don't you run your own business? I'd reject it because I never really understood. For me, a business was... um, the big conglomerates and multinationals that we see. So Diverse Minds all started from when I worked at Imperial College and my role was head of diversity and inclusion. I headed up the centre there um, and I did a lot of work on mental health. So I started all the training and the um, the support for staff on mental health first aid and beyond. And other organisations would find out about it and say, oh, Leila, you've done this at Imperial. Will you come and do a talk for us? Will you run a training session? So I, I talked to my manager. She said, yeah, that's fine. You can go, but the money has to come into your budget, your departmental budget. I was like, yeah, that's fine. So I'd do some. I'd spend the money on training for the team. And then it kept happening. So I bought annual leave. Um, and then it kept happening. And I thought, hmm, there's clearly something in this. So um, the passion is really from seeing people suffer um, and seeing really stupid, if I can use that word, um, policies and procedures that don't work or that people aren't following that need to be uh, made easier to understand and more appropriate for the employee and staff members. And actually for organisations, they've got brilliant aims, objectives and missions, um, but they're not really coming to life. So that's how it all started. Um, And I've been very privileged to work with people. Um, My work is very much workplace-based, so it's not around the clinical practice. I will make a reference to and signpost people to good clinical practice, um, but it's really about practical steps that can be taken in the workplace to support staff. Amazing. How long have you been running this business for? So as a side hustle... Uh... <laughs> I, I recognise that term. It's very close to me. I think I've had a side hustle for 10 years. <laughs> there you go, yeah. Uh, probably about two and a half years and coming up to the end of October, it will be a, f- a year that I've been doing it full time. Amazing. Well done. I'm six months in, so the struggle is real. I know what it feels like. (laughs) Um, But such a great time to be within this in the sense of the open conversations that people are willing to have, which is actually quite ahead of the game to to some other countries, I'm realizing. Yes. Isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the UK still has a long way to go. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. And we think about all the things that are just starting to come out around Me Too um, and why I didn't report it, which is so important. And yeah, I've just read from Rape Crisis UK some information around men are less likely to be convicted of sexual violence and, and the mental health impacts of that. And, you know, women are 50% of society. So why aren't we looking after 50% of society's mental health? So, yes, and there's lots of aspects to it. So, 
really, um, yes, as I said, I feel really privileged. I think you're right. I'm at the right place at the right time. Um, and there is just so much work to do. There is so much work to do. And of course, me and you could talk about mental health like all day and, and strategies for improving it. Um, but I really, I'm curious about your story. What's made you who you are today uh, as sort of achieving at the top of your game? So, so give us just a bit of context. If we go right back into your history, your, your childhood even, um, do you think that your, your childhood, whatever that means, sort of parents' education system, mm-hmm. gave you the resilience that you needed to, to run your own business and deal with life as an adult? It's interesting because we talked about that, didn't we, a little bit before the podcast. And I said to you, no, I don't think um, my childhood gave me any resilience. But when you've asked that question again, and I'm reflecting on it, um, I think what the theme and again, given there's a lot more discussion around um, Asian diaspora, and with the British Asian uh, series on BBC, um, it makes you realise how I think resilience has built through journeys. So I'm third generation and my great grandparents were from Gujarat and then they moved to Africa and then I was born in the States and then I moved here. So there's a trajectory and actually adaptation. Yeah. Um, and I don't think you realise it. And I... Uh, Yeah. And so I suppose that's a big bit of resilience um, in terms of how you adapt. And I never felt like I fitted in in the UK for a long time. So I've lived here since I was nine until, interestingly, I went on an EU funded program on volunteering Um, and it was brilliant. And I met people from across the world and that was great. But I have never in my life, and I went to Spain and I speak Spanish and I look more Spanish than I look, you know, white British, obviously. Um, I have never felt so British in my whole life, which, interestingly, I wasn't expecting. Um, and I didn't have a particularly great time because it was doing immigrant support work. Um, I saw some really horrific things. Um, but again, I suppose, yes, that has prepared me Um And taking a step back and thinking about that, um, yeah, absolutely. And another theme through my life has been bullying. So I've had a lot of bullying at school, and I know that's not uncommon. I know that happens to a lot of people. And everyone gets bullied for a different reason. And I very much felt it was because I was brown, because I... um, because I didn't fit in and I didn't have... um, you know, I wasn't one of the popular girls. So I always felt that. But I suppose what then happens is when you're older, like now, I don't really care. And I don't mean that in a negative way. I mean, you know, if someone's rude to me or if I don't get a contract, I think, oh, well, there's plenty more fish in the sea. And actually, I've been through worse. So this is okay. And actually, I'm in control of it. I don't have to go to school every day anymore. And if you can kind of do that... (laughs) You sort of think. I think what you're saying is that your childhood, in a way, did give you resilience, but often it's not the way we think it will. It's not like, oh, my parents knew exactly what to say at the right times. My teachers knew just when to push and just when to support. They supported with the bullying. Like, it's not that rosy picture. What I've noticed through all my interviews, coming up to almost a year of podcasting, uh, is that it's when, when you feel like there's no support and that you're completely stuck or you hit rock bottoms or you get the bullying or whatever those childhood experiences are that actually make us able to run businesses or hold relationships or connect with because we're like dude I've been through worse what's a bit of a business up and down right uncertainty <laughs> exactly. right <laughs> and at least I'm in control of it I suppose that's another theme I never really felt in control of my life till I was in my maybe mid to late 20s um and by that I'm by that I mean um I felt I was always dancing to someone else's tune and I wasn't trying to. 
and it's not necessarily about people pleasing actually either um but yes yeah, so now when you've got the control it might be difficult but you i still feel like that control really really rests with me at the moment so again going through all of that Completely. I actually resonate with that so much because I mm. moved every year of my life growing up and I moved country every three years. Um, mm. Yeah, which which was kind of intense and had that impact of making me really adaptable, um, which I can now kind of use as a strength because I work with different companies and people and all of that. But there was definitely a period of time where that adaptability meant I was never me. I'd never figured out who me was. I was just like, oh, you're from that culture and that demographic? Switch. Oh, you you like that and you're from that class or society? Switch. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, until you're like, who the fuck am I? And it leads to like depression and suicide and all sorts of things because you can get pretty lost in it. Oh, we could just talk all day. So... Um, Take us through some more themes for you around adversity that you face. So we've talked about the bullying. I often talk about rock bottom moments mm -hmm. in our life mm -hmm. that can sometimes be the catalyst for, mm -hmm. for change or for learning. And I wonder if those terms kind of resonate with you at all. Yeah, absolutely. So I suppose one thing that sticks in my mind um, is around one of the first experiences I had of quite serious workplace bullying that I didn't feel I could do anything about because all this stuff was going on with my family. So as I mentioned to you, my family was imploding. Um, so I'm an only child. I'm from a big, wider family, but I didn't really have much to do with them. I didn't grow up with them. Mm. And um, it was the three of us. And I don't think I, I, you know, I'm an extreme extrovert. So being an only child was very, very, very difficult for me. Um, and that's why I have to just be constantly doing things now. Um, so it's very difficult. And I don't think it's a very healthy dynamic. And um, my dad decided to leave my mum. And that's fine. You know, I get that people want to leave people, but it was really horrific. So um, we had to go to court because there was no support. You know, my mum, she was very much she what that was her you know, she was fulfilling what she felt she wanted to do, which was being a full-time mum and looking after the home. I was also 22. So I, you know, I was in a, a place where I had to support my mum. She, you know, fell apart. She got very mentally unwell. Um, and then, yeah, I haven't seen my dad for 12 years, which is a great thing, actually. But that was all imploding. Then I'd go into the workplace and it was just a mess. So it was a very prestigious institution. Um, and uh, the individual that I was meant to be working with, he was a real bully. Um, it also transpired, um, and this is horrific, that he was looking at pornography on work computers. But that came out after he left. Mm. And, you know, I look back and I just think, how on earth? earth did I get through that but it was almost like I'd went I went in and it was a job I really believed in so it was supporting young people from black and Asian backgrounds to apply to university so at least the values piece was there yeah the environment was awful <laughs> yeah but but it was for a year so I thought okay I'm just going to grip my teeth I need the money I've got to help my mum I've got to get through it um and interestingly, sometimes life throws you a lifeline. Um, and for me, the lifeline was I met some really lovely people and I met the person who was now my husband, um, which was weird. And he's very calm and very supportive. And I know that's not the same for everyone. Um, and he'd had some challenges, which very early on in our friendship, he shared with me and said, you know what, you can get through it. And it doesn't matter who that person is, actually, but it's just having someone there to say, and it reminds me of that Brené Brown clip about empathy. Mm. Um, you can't, I can't change it for you, but actually I've been there and I'm here today and you're going to be here today. 
So one of my points, I suppose, is about having that support network around you. And I had some amazing friends. I used to work in Leeds who did their utmost for me. They said, you know, we're here for you. Um, Come up, come to this christening, come to this. And they were still there and they spent hours on the phone with me and they didn't, you know, let me out of their sight. And the house I'd moved into, I had these housemates that I didn't know, but they rallied around. So I think I was just really fortunate. And then after a year, And I think things did get worse at work, but then I was able to move into a different team and things looked up. But at that moment, I just had to keep plowing through it. Can I just just ask, because you're talking about the support networks, which is is really great. But sometimes when we're in the shame place to think about Brené Brown, right, it's really hard to, first of all, ask for any kind of support. Um, Second of all, to even receive it if it is sort of showing up. And I'm wondering, you obviously had serendipitously some great people that showed up. How were you showing up at that time? Were you able to ask for help or was it just like they could see you were crumbling? Um, yeah, really good question. I think initially I could talk about the workplace stuff, but the family stuff, absolutely. I felt really, really ashamed and I have no idea why. Um, yeah, it's such a good question. So why, how did I, how was I able to talk to people? I think I just thought to myself, I need to know that it's going to be okay. So I'm going to have to talk to some people so they reassure me um, because I couldn't I couldn't face the truth and I couldn't face the reality that if someone had said to me, this is going to be really hard and tough, I don't know what I would have done at that moment. But because everyone was like, I'm sure it will be okay. I'm sure it will be okay, which in some circumstances isn't very helpful. For me, it was super helpful because I thought, okay, okay, everyone's telling me this. And inadvertently, everyone was on the same page. Um, And yeah, I think I just, I couldn't really eat. I couldn't really... um, I just didn't feel like myself. So I think I just said to people, I don't feel like myself and I don't really know what to do. Okay. So you were able in some way to just say, this is what's going on. Interesting how for each of us, the shame thing can be more focused in one area or another. So it might be okay to talk, for example, in mental health, it's more okay to talk about physical health symptoms for linked to burnout, for example, but to admit to other people that you may be suffering from depression or that you're having secret panic attacks or can feel like there is more maybe stigma or shame attached to it. Um, So, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, yeah, absolutely. And it's like bipolar. So it's easier to say I've got I'm I feel depressed. I feel low. Um, And if you're if someone is in a manic phase to hide those behaviors and then and then facing up to or seeing those people again when they might have huge judgments about that individual is very tough. It's very tough. And and you mentioned briefly just that your mum's mental health was impacted in some way through all the stress of it. And I'm curious about how that impacted your mental health. Yeah. So I think what happened was a delayed response, Mm. which was, you know, be the strong person, be the carer. And I didn't know that was the role, to be honest, at that time. Sure. It's survival, right? Absolutely. And then it really hit me. Um, And I think it's, you know, it even hit me maybe eight, nine years later. Wow. Where I just thought, what has been going on? I don't even know, you know, how did I, yeah, how do I, how did I manage it? I can't keep doing this. And it put me in a role that I didn't want to be in for the rest of my life. So the role of, of carer or of survival, supporter, supporter. Yeah. yeah, supporter, carer, doer of everything. All the time. 
for everyone. <laughs> yeah, no, I know what you mean. Okay, so it hit you sort of maybe even nine, that's almost a decade later. Um, and there's a cumulative effect of, of trauma even, that might feel like a strong word, but yeah. for the workplace bullying, for the whole family situation, supporting your mum. And I'm just curious what that decade was like. Um, mm. How did you, did you just feel like you could cope, 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 like you had to, and it was... Oh, I hesitate to say okay, but you just didn't have a choice in a way, mm. and and then it hit you. What what was that like? Um, I think it was more peaks and troughs, and I did have some counselling um, initially again through work, so that was good. It wasn't particularly helpful, but it was something. Um, and then it yeah, then it was peaks and troughs because after that incident of bullying, I then had another bit of bullying. So stuff calmed down at work, and it was great. And then I moved into another team, and everything was fine. And then the manager, there was a merger. And then the manager said, um, I'm going to take early retirement because I don't want to be merged into this department. Um, and we got this other this other woman became the manager who was I was actually friends with. She worked in a different department. As soon as she became the manager, it was like 10 tons of bricks on me. She stopped me doing work. She stopped me doing any high profile stuff it, behind my back. She gave my work to other people. So this was about uh, when was it? So this was. Uh, yeah, five years later, it happened again. And at that point, I think I really crumbled. Mm. I crumbled more, I think, because uh, things were slightly more settled in the family's um, sentiment. I'd worked really hard at this particular prestigious organization. Um, I felt really angry. Um, The work I was doing was on race equality. And I was facing these microaggressions every day. And it really started to erode on me as a person. Um, so you're trying to build yourself back up and then it all went down again and I just felt um, completely exhausted and that I wasn't heard um, and that yeah and that I really was passionate about my job and I was the expert and yet here I was trying to be shut down and I'm just thinking first of all I'm thinking how bad did it get like how low did it have to go in order for for a change Mm -hmm. to happen that's my first question let's go there so I, when I realised that nothing was going to shift and the bullying was going to continue, um, and again, it was very different to the bullying I'd experienced before. So this was much more subtle. It was much more passive aggressive. Um, it was much more um, exclusionary, um, if I can use that word. So I was like, I've got to get out of here. <laughs> so I apply, and I think the other problem was when you're low and you can apply for jobs in the traditional fashion because you can't reach out to people because you just feel so low. Um, I applied for about 45 jobs. So I had to keep going. And there were days where I knew I was really low and on the road. I don't think I actually got there, but I was definitely at the crossroads for depression because I didn't want to get out of bed in the morning. I'd cry before going to work. You know, maybe I had no diagnosis, but that it was not. I was not in a good state of mental health. Um, And then I finally got another job and it was brilliant. And interestingly, it was with a colleague that I trusted um, at another institution um, and within a couple of months of me starting the new role, I was so much better because I wasn't receiving the treatment. And you start to think, well, I'm not insane. It's not me. Because that was the other thing. I started to think maybe it's me. Maybe it's me. Maybe I am like this. Maybe they've got a point. Maybe, you know. This is like emotional abuse, isn't it? The way you begin to affect your, it begins to affect your confidence, your self-worth, your ability to, to sell yourself within other roles. And my God, what a test of resilience to apply for 45 jobs as well. (laughs) And to just keep going, I've got to keep applying. I've got to keep applying. 
yeah, because I was like, there's no future for me here. Um, and it was annoying. And in the end, you know, this individual, she didn't want me to do any work. Uh, you know, she, she stopped me doing everything. So I, I actually flipped that around. I thought, OK, a couple of two things I'm going to do. One thing I did, which was really interesting, which I do recommend to people. And it got to the point where I couldn't stand anyone in the office either. I'd wear headphones like I'm wearing now and listen to American motivational Internet radio. And my God, that was brilliant. <laughs> it saved me. And actually, I ended up going on a radio show talking about something else. So that was good. The second thing I did was I thought, OK, they don't want me to do any work. My, my job to come in if they want to pay me is to apply for jobs. So I use that work time that was be you know presenting a barrier and I thought I'm not going to fight this anymore it's not worth it and my job now is to apply for jobs and if they want to pay for me for that that's up to them fair enough so I mean yeah totally fair enough it's like what is in your control right rather than focusing on what isn't so you've come from quite a, a, a low point you've applied you're finally in a new environment but as you said sort of a decade of things chipping away at your mental health they don't just flip overnight due to a different environment they can it can support you and I, it feels like you had some sense of relief that you were that it wasn't you those sorts of things but what were the the little things that you've learned along the way to almost repair or look after your own mental health and, and move forward to this strong confident place where you're running your own business so I think the journey that I'm still on, but that I have to remind myself yeah. of, is I'm not a super person. I'm not <laughs> a <Damn>. superhero. <laughs> yeah. I'm not. Um, I, I have a lot of energy. Um, but then when I crash, my God, do I crash. Um, so I have to remember, OK, I can't go to everything. I can't be there for everyone. I can't answer every email within two seconds. I can't. And that's OK. But it's quite hard. It sounds like me. That's why I'm smiling. I'm like, oh my god, because <laughs> the crash, the crashes are intense when when yeah, we yeah. drive ourselves forward. But it's really hard not to drive yourself forward when you found your mission. You're 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 on the right path. You're running something that's valuable to you that you know creates impact. So it's ticking all of these boxes. So it's really hard to go. Oh, I'm gonna this yesterday, which was Sunday. I was like. Uh, I'm going to not work all of one day and see what that feels like, you know, and obviously I needed to do it, but it's, how is it so, you know, revolutionary to just not work? I know, I know. Um, so that's, that's one thing. I make sure that I do make time to go outside. Um, and I'm not a particularly outdoorsy person. That's not me. I'm not at one with nature particularly. Um, but just to go outside, get fresh air, go for walks. And What's make the impact sure of that on you? Yeah, so the impact is it just gives me a sense of um, a break. And actually, I get really good ideas. So <laughs> it's a, it's space, but it also means that I don't feel guilty because I know that I'm going to come back with new ideas or ways to solve problems. Um, and yeah, and, and it just takes the pressure off. Absolutely. Just takes pressure off. Okay, so so going outside helps. What other things do you maybe try to do on good days uh, to to invest in yourself or to try and prevent those those crash points? Yeah, so one of the things I try and do is to do the Pomodoro technique, where you set your alarm and you work for a particular time frame and you get lots done and then taking a break because otherwise as you'll know running your own business seven o'clock and then it's seven o'clock and you think where's the day gone oh I haven't eaten I haven't done that my arm's really stiff from typing all day it's just not good for you is it um 
so that's that's one thing and another thing I have to do which is really hard and again um, it's not from a place of people pleasing it's from a place of I want to do everything and be involved in everything is saying no and turning work down and it's really difficult <laughs> um, it's really difficult but just looking at my diary and saying I don't work on Fridays outside I, I stay at home and I sort things out on a Friday um, and I can't do this and not making myself rush from meeting to meeting and one of the things that always sticks in my head my very good friend Gabriella Kerr-Gordon who um, was an apprentice with me um, when I worked at Imperial College and um, she came in it's her first day she was like okay I'm going to help you with some diary management bearing in mind she's a good 10 years younger than me and she got my diary and she said I'm not happy with this you're rushing from meeting to meeting where is your break time where is your travel time I want to see this color coded I was like yes miss <laughs> um, and I'll never forget that and so now when we meet I'm always like here's my diary um, and she so you know people being quite strict in a really helpful way and actually color coding the diary and blocking stuff out it's basic stuff but it really does help me do you have some criteria for saying no to work? Um, yes, I've been really strict again with myself. And if it's not at the price point I want it to be, um, and it involves a lot of work, and I've just taken something on that's like that, but that's it. That is the last thing because it was committed to a while ago. I won't do it anymore. And actually, I'll say to someone, oh, if you want someone cheaper, I can recommend other people for you. Um, because actually you know what is the point of running around absolutely everywhere I'm, I'm talking about well-being and mental health and then making myself ill it's nonsense it is ridiculous but we do do it um and it does lead to burnout uh, but hopefully we can begin to recognize the signs within our body and our mind early on so i know if i start having a bit of shortness of breath um or i start getting irritable with my kids or think little little hints like that i'm like whoa i realize that you know what i need to do and then I also try and map out when I did was employed by someone, what were the things that I did? Because I used to be really strict with routines around taking lunch breaks, bringing in healthy food, going for a walk and listening to a podcast, you know, things like that. And then when I'm working for myself, I don't have the structure of a lunch break. Or so I'm like, oh, I'm not listening to anything uplifting or like you were listening to the motivational stuff. I'm like, but I just I'm really passionate about getting this project done. So our own routines and boundaries and saying no is, is very valuable. Um, what advice might you give to somebody who's experiencing workplace bullying or bullying of some kind, you know, that could have maybe shortened, I don't know, in hindsight, right? The, the, the time that you, you, your, your confidence was being chipped away at and all of that, what advice would you give to them? So the first thing I would say is um, find out who to speak to. If you don't want to make a formal complaint, I understand that. Get familiar with the policy. If you're part of the trade union, talk to your trade union rep. If you have dignity at work advisors, talk to someone. If you've got a trusted colleague, talk to someone. Use the organization's policy, processes, procedures to challenge what's going on. Decide what you want to do. Map out your strategy. Um, think about whether it's worth you staying. Um, see if you could get your line manager change. If it's your line manager, if it's a colleague, can you separate the distance? Um, and don't be afraid to join help groups, call Bullying UK, call ACAS, get your information, make sure you feel that your armour is on in an appropriate way. Um, make the decision about what you want to do. Where possible, don't keep silent. So you don't want to go around telling everyone, right. but the people that you trust and how, you know, have they faced this before? How could they help you navigate it? Um, 
And then if it's not going to go forward, um, get your support networks outside, whether that's online, face-to-face, on the phone, um, social media, and maneuver your way out and use lots of pronged approaches. So, you know, you might want to apply for jobs, you talk to people, tell, share your vision with people. I'm looking for new opportunities. When you feel low, I appreciate that that's really tough, but you can just choose one small thing to do. So that could be, oh, I'm, I know there's a secondment in that team, or I'm going to go ask the manager I trust over there to see if there's a secondment in the team. So it's small and it's manageable. And remember, it's not you. And actually, another thing I found really helpful is um, – work with someone who does these amazing storytelling workshops and they're from an African tradition. And um, in one of the workshops, she makes us come up with like a a phrase or a mantra that we can say to ourselves every morning. So I would say, and I know some this won't work for a lot of people, but I would say write something down. So mine is, I know I will be the positive change I want to see and I will see it every day. And just put it somewhere when you feel low and just looking at that or a beautiful picture that makes you feel happy and look at it as you walk out the door and think, I'm going to come home to that and it is going to be okay. Um, And also remember that you have to make some tough decisions. So you might not get there overnight. Think about what the decision, think about the challenge, think about the question, think about the decision and just focus and work towards that. I love that so much. And what, what, what I'm hearing you say is, Figure out the things that are in your control, and there's a wealth of things that are in your control, even if some of the surrounding environment might feel like it's not not in your control. What about, I'm just curious about, I bet there was a bit of time in the workplace, or even at school, if we go right back, mm-hmm. where little things were happening, and you didn't feel great about it, and, and like, at what point did you go, this is bullying? Mm-hmm. Because it's usually mm-hmm. after, like, consistent, mm-hmm. right? Like, how does somebody even know this is workplace bullying and I should start to do some of the things you're saying. Yeah, that's also a really important question. Um, I guess in school I didn't really know it was how I felt. Yeah. Um, And the exclusion. And that's probably why I do the work that I do now, because I hate exclusion. It makes me feel sick. Um, And it's not just about me. It's about everyone. Yeah. and at work, I think those behaviours were quite obvious. And I think because I then started to work in the area of bullying, I knew. So the things that people might want to reflect on and look out for and think about what they can manage. I mean, it might be that someone doesn't realise and then they have a conversation with a person and it stops. So that's also important to remember. Yeah. So withholding information on purpose, not inviting people to important meetings, excluding people from workplace functions. I think it does happen, but it's seen less because people could call it out shouting, standing over someone's desk, being in someone's personal space when it's not invited, so in an inappropriate fashion, micromanaging someone, over-checking their work, which is what this woman did to me consistently, Um, um, undermining people, interrupting people consistently at meetings and not because you know that's that person and they do it to everyone but picking on someone yeah making snide comments uh, using someone's personal characteristics and throwing it back at them absolutely and I, and I guess if you're worried that it could be bullying but you're not sure either talking to someone or looking at bullying uk like i bet they've got lists of things yes. that could be going on uh for you and i really noticed your passion when you said the thing around 
exclusion when you were younger and how that's like impacted your whole career path. Um, and, and you, and I felt your passion then. Mm. And it says to me that sometimes this really shitty things that happen in our lives, it, it feels uncomfortable to even admit it, but they are, they become our purpose. So, which is like, we turn our adversity or we can into our advantage to our purpose. So just tell us a bit more about that purpose for you now and where people can find you. Yeah, absolutely. And one story I just want to quickly share is I remember being in a yoga class and at the end, the teacher said, right, think of someone who's been a really good teacher to you. And it might not be someone who was kind or who was helpful. It might be someone who actually made your life very difficult, but taught you valuable lessons. And I thought, yes, she's absolutely right. And I thought about this individual and the way she treated me was horrific. But uh, the upshot was I got an amazing job. I got amazing opportunities and I probably wouldn't, if she was lovely, I wouldn't have pushed myself in that way. Um, I'm, you know, and I, I'm here today doing what I do. And the other thing is, you know, karma is very powerful, or whatever, you know, your spiritual or um, viewpoint on the matter, because she then got kicked out by someone very senior in the organization. So it really came back on it. It took five years, but it happened. So kind of trust, trust that, that process. But I, I literally got chills when you were like, who was your best teacher? And we think yeah. of like, even our parents, we think are the, the most caring, but actually what are the challenging situations or what was the situation you were forced into? I can thank my ex-husband for quite a few things um, that sort of created the environment you needed or the inner environment to really push yourself to who your, your higher purpose or the thing that you're really meant to do. Yeah, absolutely. So my purpose now, yes, where yes. can people find yeah. me? Um, so my website is um, diverseminds.co.uk um, and it's also at Diverse Minds UK on Twitter and Facebook. Um, and my name, Leila, L-E-Y-L-A, Okai, O-K-H-A-I on LinkedIn. Um, and what I try and do is I have, if anyone's interested, top 10 wellbeing tips. So you receive a tip a day to your inbox all around supporting your um well-being and mental health and I refer to lots of other sources um, and I do a fortnightly news stroke blog update and I just published one today by uh, I had a guest blogger Andrea Goodridge from Ad Florum who's talking about creating inclusive workplace. Amazing I will be signing up it sounds like really valuable content. Leila thank you so much for your time your vulnerability and so many practical tips I really appreciate it thank you. Thank you so much.